With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by the one and the only Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? The only way to describe myself today is a 10. Liverpool have announced the signing of Alexis McAllister. He is our new number 10. The World Cup winner arrives from Brighton for a fee believed to be somewhere between 30 and 40 million with a a small amount of add-ons. Carl, we've gotten ourselves a bargain and it's a great start to our summer business. Yes, it is. It is a very, very, very good start. This is, it feels quite similar actually to the um, the summer, it wasn't really even summer, that we signed Fabinho, like right after the end of a disappointment. And I think that one was the Champions League final, was it? Yes. It was like the yeah. next day we were like, right, we've signed Fabinho and he's, he's a bargain. This feels a bit like that to me. Um, not just because, you know, midfield and South American, but I'm happy for those two things to be similarities as well. But just because it's a, a case of obviously this has been in the works, we've already recognised, not, not getting to the end of the season. We've seen beforehand we need to do something here. And we've gone out and we've done it straight away. And I think this is a very, very, very good signing for Liverpool, even without considering the fee. Yeah, 100%. I, I've said... Before I said to you, I think if we'd paid fifty, fifty-five, I, I would yeah. have been happy. I think he's yeah. I think he's more than good enough. He's twenty-four years of age. He's younger than Trent. I mean, that, that's the thing. We we still look at Trent as a young player, but this guy's two months younger than Trent. So his development is is not yet over. He will continue to improve, continue to get better, continue to be more rounded. And I think he just adds a completely new wrinkle to our team. And I think the flexibility he'll give us in terms of the number of positions he can play, the number of shapes and systems he can fit into and adapt to. I'm just delighted with this bit of business. And like you say, to get it in good and early, it it does sort of wash away some of the disappointment of the season just gone like that Fabinho deal. I mean, that was... That remains maybe the biggest shock transfer we've had in a while because nothing was going on. And literally, I think Melissa Reddy tweeted, Liverpool are in talks with Monaco for Fabinho. And within two hours, Paul Joyce was like, Liverpool have completed the signing of Fabinho for Monaco. And you're like, that's it's unbelievable. 
absolutely unbelievable. Um, this one we've kind of obviously known about for a while, but just to have him in the door, to have it sealed, it's just, it's a big relief because there had been some concerns that maybe Manchester City would come in, given Gundogan might leave and he would have been the ideal Gundogan replacement there. But I mean, we, we've gotten him, he's turned down United, he's turned down Chelsea, he's turned down a couple of clubs on the continent, all with Champions League, to join us in the Europa League, which says a lot about how well we've gone about this recruitment process, about Klopp's ability to sell the project. And I think huge credit needs to go to Julian Ward. On his way out the door, clearly no let up from him, got this deal done and should rightly get credit for every aspect of it, from helping woo Alexis and his team, most importantly his father who guides his career, being able to negotiate behind the scenes with Brighton without it leaking out. The fact that the fee is undisclosed and we're working off sort of rumours and murmurs and spoofers with catchphrases, it just goes to show how well buttoned up this deal was. And I think I think it's fair to say that the, the wages aren't going to be phenomenal either. He's on about 60 grand a week at Brighton, probably coming to us on 100, 120. That's, that's Oxlade-Chamberlain money. The Oxlade-Chamberlain was signed in 2017. So, you know, I think we've gotten him in on a good deal and he, he just fits. He makes a lot of sense for us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the transfer fees that's been spoken about, even by the time you include a few add-ons, not that much more than Ox was then. And that's no. you know, it's five, six years ago now. And I mean, let's not get too uh, economical about things, but in terms of uh, inflation in the real world, as well as the football world, to get him at this fee is unbelievable, to be perfectly honest. This is like a nearly a 10 years ago kind of fee you should be paying for this kind of player. Um, I, I'd, I'd thought, actually... I've completely forgot that Brighton had a really good run in the FA Cup. I thought his cup games were basically going to be World Cup final and then one against Stoke or something like that. And then uh, Europa League for Liverpool. And that was going to be his run of cup games. But they did actually get to, to the semi-finals and Wembley against Man United. So They did quite. and they, they should have won that game and had themselves an FA Cup final. But he can get to experience that with us in time to come. Now, he has been given the number 10 jersey last yes. worn by Sadio Mane. So play a little game with me here, Carl. Yeah. Number one is Alison Becker. Number two is Joe Gomez. Number three is Fabinho. Four is Van Dijk. Five is Canate. Six is Alcantara. Seven is empty. Eight is empty. Nine is empty. And 12 is empty because it was Joe Gomez. Who do you think takes seven, eight, or nine from the current squad? And who would you like to take them? Right, a bit disappointed that you've said from the current squad. Oh, you can, no, no, the, the, the who would you like to take them can be from, from outside the squad. Okay, cool. I'm having number eight. <laughs> um, Curtis Jones can have number seven. <laughs> Just to annoy you. And because I know it'll make Guy feel really, really uncomfortable, I think. Uh, Stefan Basetic should get number nine. <laughs> Mickey Van de Veen in the door, give him number nine. Um, yeah, Guy is, Guy is outraged by the fact that... Now, look, it annoys me as well. I don't know why we have lads who wear 62 and 66, considering we don't have lads that wear, you know, like 24 and 25. There's absolutely no reason for lads to be wearing shirt numbers that high up. 
Um, I want Luis Diaz to get seven. I think he is tailor-made for number seven. Seven is the magician shirt. Now, it's not to be disrespectful. It's been wasted on James Milner, who was <laughs> never good enough to wear that number for us. That number holds huge importance from Keegan to Dogleash to Beardsley. Obviously had a bit of a rough time for, you know, the the Nigel Clough years and who else wore it over Kills, the years? Meets uh yeah, like yeah. players like that shouldn't have been wearing it. But Suarez revived it for us. And I think it's fitting that Luis Diaz take it next. Yeah, Diaz would be a good one. I mean, I, I find it astonishing that you're you're taking away Champions League record creativity in terms of assists from James Milner there and telling us he wasn't a magician. Absolutely outrageous, a scandal. So would you Probably. like me to read off who James Milner got assists against in that Champions no. League? No, 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 no. You're all right with that. No, no, no you, you can't be turning back the clock here. Come on, let's let's be turning back keep, the clock. Keep it on a forward looking. <laughs> um, do you think Cody Gakpo would be a number eight? He's only just I, got I, eighteen. Yeah, it could I be an eight or a nine for us. See, I think Darwin needs to get nine because. Darwin's confidence clearly took a massive hit in the second half of the season. And I think giving him the number nine would be a big boost for him. I think it would be seen as, you know, being more involved, being more included, being more valued to give him that number nine shirt. I'd like to see Darwin get nine. Yeah, Cody, I could see wearing eight, but then... Maybe he likes wearing 18. I'm fine with him staying 18. He's only just got it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So, and, and like, the thing is... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Wait, because, like I said, Keegan, Kenny, Beardsley, etc. But for the modern age, eight carries all of the weight. It's Steven Gerrard's number. And I, I always thought it was one thing that people used as a stick to beat Naby Keita with. Oh, Gerard handed him the number eight shirt and he hasn't lived up to it. Yada, yada, yada. So I, I do think maybe it might be an idea to go into next season without a number eight. You know, say Kefren Turam arrives, maybe you give him 16. If Manu Kone comes in, maybe he gets... 24 or 12. I'd be tempted to leave eight empty for a year and let someone earn it. Let someone step up and earn it. Because 
it is a big like I know it seems silly, it seems trivial, but these numbers do matter in the history of our club. You know, it always bothered me that Lovren wore six because that was Alan Hansen's number. And he wasn't worthy of any number. But I'd like some of these numbers to be treated with the respect that they deserve. And and seven and eight in particular are the two that always strike me as being really important. Eight because of Gerard, but also players before him as well that wore eight. But I'd be tempted to leave eight. I'd be tempted could to leave eight empty for next year. Could I could I ask you another number which should be left empty, not just next year, but for all eternity? Yes. Twenty nine. I'm gonna read you the list of Liverpool players who have worn twenty nine since <laughs> squad numbers came in. Okay. Brad Friedel, he was first. Now, obviously, he went on to be immaculate, but at Liverpool, A, hopeless, B, didn't really get a chance, C, offloaded too early. Stephen Wright, Patrice Luzzi, who I think played one game for us off the top of my head, Gabriel Paletta, who, again, was too young, hopeless, went on to do good stuff afterwards, but at Liverpool, no good. Christian Nemeth, who was supposed to be fantastic and I don't think ever debuted for us. Fabio Barini, who I quote, the fans are going to love, and they did not. Dominic Solanke, less said about that, the better. And now Arto Melo. So by leave it empty, what you actually mean is put any and all number 29 jerseys into a cannon and fire them into the North Sea. I think it would be uh, it would be advisable to leave that shirt empty. I will just say, though, Christian Nemeth, had a had an okay career after he left us. A oh, journeyman yeah, career. It's a but, really good career for for it was just that he was meant to be, meant to be, stuff. Meant, meant to be the next dog leash when he was signed and he didn't quite work out. But I always liked watching him once he left us. He, he was he was fun. Um yeah I think I think that's fair. I think twenty nine twenty nine should be should be left. Um Sandeep is asking, should Trent get number seven? So Guy mentioned it beforehand. Trent for number eight, he's the one player in the squad mm-hmm. that I would be okay with giving number eight to. And I, and again, I wouldn't give it to a new signing. If Trent took mm-hmm. number eight, I would be I'd be more than happy with it. But not I, as I th- not seven. I still think it'd make Guy feel uncomfortable, you know, in those late stage games or certain matches when we don't do the drifting infield, you've got your right back lining up all the time with number eight. I think it'd make Guy very uncomfortable. I'd love to have been around Guy when we had the great William Gallas wearing number 10 for Arsenal. I mean, Short even Milan Barros was number five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's been some belters over the years. Which wasn't there? Oh, didn't Wilfred Bonney wear two at Swansea? Because it was his second time at the club. <laughs> um, what about right now I, you know I know that you think you should go out online I don't know if you've changed your mind but leave an eight empty Curtis Jones right if he's to put together a season around the level that he played the last 10 games or so in and therefore getting games that that level of performance and let's say a normal progression not an, an outlandish rocketeering progression would you be giving him a homegrown play of the eight the year after? I wouldn't be against it. I think Curtis would appreciate the number. I think he'd know the weight that comes with it. Um, I, I wanted him to go on loan this past season 
because the previous season had been a waste for him. I think this past season was largely a waste up until the Chelsea game. Uh, but he certainly showed a good level after that. And he did have a couple of rough, rough games between then and the end of the season, but by and large, he was he was the best midfielder we had other than Trent in the, in, when, when they moved into the hybrid shape. So, yeah, I mean, if he can continue to develop, my question with, with Curtis is, is he ever going to be first choice? And with Alexis arriving and with potentially two more midfielders arriving or three more midfielders arriving, maybe, I just don't know that Curtis is ever going to be first choice. I think he might be a very good, very important rotation player. But, I mean, Curtis is a local lad. So from that point, I think that would warrant consideration for that shirt as well. Because, again, he'll know the weight that it carries. He'll know how important it is. And he's always a lad that, represents the club very well and there'll be you know there'll be no lack of effort with Curtis there'll be no questions over his um his commitment to the cause so yeah I mean if if Curtis does well next season and wants to take it yeah fair enough good good stuff there's your target Curtis you're definitely listening to this so Um, right I'm going to give you one little thing for um the current listeners to enjoy and Guy to join in as well. Guy, you, you've got eyes on Discord chat, yeah? Yeah. Right, if there's a few people in there, they can join in here as well. The number eight shirt, Tater and Gerard, obviously we know. Since 92-93 season, so obviously that includes uh, a season or so where there were no squad numbers, 10 other players have worn the number eight jersey for Liverpool in the league. Give me them. Let's see if you can get at least six of them between you. So if you're listening in Discord... Fire away with your answers in the chat and Guy can read them out. Paul Stewart. Paul Stewart is one. No, oh, that, was by, that was by Sunday. Right. Oh, Leonardo. Leonardo. Yeah. yeah, he wore it for Heskey. two seasons, I think. Heskey. There you go. That's three. Yeah. Sammy, wasn't Sammy Lee? Or was, was that? Sammy Lee was very definitely not in 92-93. Stan Collymore. Oh. That's a great show. Yeah, Collymore had it for two seasons. That's four of them. Hmm. Gerard would have got it in about three. Yeah, oh four oh five Gerard started. Heskey before Gerard, Leonardson before Heskey, Collymore before Leonardson. So you're all the way back to Collymore. So it's before Collymore. Paul Stewart was before Collymore. Yeah, Stewart oh, wore five. Or is he one you've already got? He's one that was mentioned by Sandeep. Okay, so you got four. Um, None of the rest were squad numbers. They're just wearing that shirt for a couple of years. Yep, Don Hutchison. Mike Marsh. Mike Marsh, yep, once in that season as well. So that's six. Yep. God. Not Nicky Tanner or Barry Venison or any of them. And uh, no, Venison was earlier, so it was Nicky Tanner. So you're looking for two former captains. Did Barnes what change to him? No. Oh, no. Um, I'm misremembering that. Oh, Paul Ince. No, Paul Ince didn't wear age. Paul Ince no, wore Ince. 18 plus. No. Yep. Yeah. Redknapp? Yep, yeah, Redknapp had it for a, a year and a bit. 
Did McManaman wear it at some point in yep. the early days? Yeah. Yep, two years, McManaman. That's eight of them. I'd be very surprised if you get uh, the other two, but one of them is gettable. How many games did they play? Oh, God, I don't know. I'm not counting through them. One oh, of them would many... not have played many, maybe just the one. Oh. And the other one played regularly? The other one played for us for uh, yeah a few years and did some bits, but he sort of flitted between Nickel. numbers. No. A winger was at Liverpool for about five years. We did not get his very best period, to be fair. Mark Walters? Yes, Mark Walters. Eknick, Sandeep soon. Torben no, Peknick. Torben Peknick, no. Four and five. Um, Along the same lines as Picnic, Istvan Kosmar did wear it, but previous oh, season, so he's not in this. Oh, dear. Um, so we have you're nine. One, one, yeah, you got one. Stunned if you get him. What season? Uh, 1993. Oh, God. No chance Michael, for me. Michael Thomas. No, way, way, way more niche. Oh. I'm going to check and see how many times he played for the first team because I can't even remember. I would be surprised if it's more than one or two. He played twice. Twice in total and one of them he wore number eight. Yeah, one in Europe and one in the League Cup. That was it, 92-93 oh. season. God. Uh, he played against Chesterfield and Apollon Limassol. Oh, he's, he's a young, he's, 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 he's a local lad, isn't he? He's a, he's a... Yeah, he's from Southport. Oh, Bill Charnock. Yes, very good. Yes, get in. Go. Get in. There's the 10. Phil Charnock. Well discorders. Yeah. Well, Sandy. <laughs> Nobody else does Sandy. <laughs> Tom um, was typing, but he was driving, to be fair. Have to be for, yeah. so he, he broke the law for us. Right, so that's, that's a pretty strong list. Um, Sandeep did have a question for us. Yep. Do you think it's going to be five five or six players coming in? Do you think the penny has actually dropped with Jürgen in terms of realising that the squad needs more? I'm going to go ahead and say I think it has dropped. So... I've seen, obviously, the Jude thing was announced yesterday, and I've seen a lot of people up in arms over it, and, you know, it's only 86 million and the add-ons, yada, yada, yada. It's actually 89 million with the with the exchange rate, and it, it's about 115, including the add-ons, or 118, including the add-ons, something like that. Anyway, not important. There's two things to, to, to realise here. Number one, it's not just the fee. It's the contract, it's the signing fee, the agent fee, the money to his alpha who's got his hand out. It's the 360 or 380 grand a week before tax. Sterling, not euro, sterling. It's, it's all of those things. Then you're adding bonuses on top of that. And if you look at Alexis, let's say 120 grand a week. Kone maybe 70, Turam maybe 80, and Mickey Van Der Veen might be 60 if he's the one that arrives playing defence. Well, the wages for those four players will be less than the wages for Jude. So we're using our money smarter. And I think Jürgen has realised we couldn't afford to just spend a huge amount on one player because we do need... A lot. Like, it is a big rebuild that's needed. The squad got really old and it got really stale. 
So I do think the penny has dropped. And I do think there'll be five, maybe six arrivals this summer. Now, that includes a replacement for Kelleher, who I think will leave. So there'll be one to replace him, one centre-back at least, a left-footed one, and three midfielders, maybe four. So that would be six. If it's not four midfielders, I think we could see maybe a young attacker or, or something arrive. Yeah, so I think there'll be at least six. I think it could actually be more than that, but I think part of that will be turnover of youth and backup. So, yeah, a Keller goalkeeper alternative, for example, I do think there'll be at least one young player comes in, hmm. um, you know, especially if Carvalho does head off elsewhere. And we'll probably sign nine young goalkeepers as well because we like to stockpile oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have like 56 of them on your books at once. Otherwise, you know, you're not allowed in the uh, Premier League 2 anymore. So I think that must be what the rule is. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, let's say, seven overall, but I still do think it will be three or four for the first team. I'm, I, I would like to see more, but I, I'm still hesitant to suggest it will be. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Can I just say, I've seen a couple of things about Alexis McAllister and suggesting that he's, um, there's, you know, you know what people do there's a good thing and they have to find the flaws with it and suggesting that like, you know, maybe because he's been at a smaller club, right. And this is Liverpool bottom feeding, basically. I, I don't understand why there's a problem with signing this, but let's just quickly point out one is now Argentinian football, which comes through one of the most successful youth academies in the entire nation. Two is a world cup winner and three, he's played for Boca juniors. I think he'll be okay. Mentality wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look, Whatever you might think the pressure of playing for Liverpool is, it is turned up to 15 when you play for Boca Juniors. Like, you lose a game for Liverpool, yeah, it's shit, but you'll get over it. You lose a game for Boca, people come to your house and they'll complain to you. Like, their fans are lunatics. So pressure won't be an issue for them. We saw him step up in the biggest game in in football, in the World Cup final, and put in a starring performance. So there's no issue about that. It's also worth pointing out, Brighton finished sixth in the Premier League. <laughs> They're a really good team. They're a really, really good team. They're basically as good as us. They did batter us last season. And they knocked us out of the cup. So, like, bottom feeding, they finished five points behind us. They battered us in the league. They knocked us out of the FA Cup. They are equal based on last season. So, you know, no, it's not bottom feeding. It, it's it's foolish to suggest that it is. But, like, where did we sign Virgil from? Can anyone remind me? Where did Sadio come from? Where did Bobby come from? These weren't huge clubs that these lads came from. Ginny came from a relegated Newcastle. Robbo came from a relegated Hull. We've got a couple of lads from Roma. Fair enough, they're a big club. But, you know, the the team was largely made up of players from these types of clubs. Smart recruitment clubs who develop players well. That's about the smartest way you can go about building a team is to buy from other smart clubs who've got a good track record of developing players. I've seen some other people say, Oh, well, at that fee, why was nobody else in from? They were in from. He picked us. Like, 
He picked us. We're not some small club that goes into a meeting cap in hand and says, look, like, you know, we're, we're just poor little Liverpool over here, but if you give us a chance, you might fall in love with us. No. <laughs> we walk into the room and we say, we're fucking Liverpool, you're signing for us, and that's all there is to it. But in probably nicer language. Like, this idea that we we're the only club that we're in from is just fucking stupid like this idea that we shouldn't sign players from other clubs that are quote unquote beneath us is just nonsense who do you want us to sign like it might genuinely. not actually be uh, it might not actually be that much different in terms of the language used now we've got big yorg on the case well that's true that's true when imagine the negotiations for manu kone him wanting <laughs> to talk to his own son Listen, your mother is going to be furious if you don't let me have this player for 15 million. You won't be invited to Christmas. <laughs> it's going to be great crack. But, like, here's the thing, right? Is, I, I understand they're a bigger club. But is signing a player from Dortmund really any different to signing a player from Brighton? Don't they operate the same way? They sign players to develop them and sell them for big profits. That's the entire model that Dortmund have followed for years. Just because it's Brighton and maybe you're not as enamored with them as you are with the yellow wall, doesn't make it much different. Do you know? And Alexis has played, like you said, for one of the biggest clubs in the world at Boca. He's played for Argentina. He's lived with the pressure of, you know, not letting Messi down, et cetera, et cetera. And he won a fucking World Cup as a starter. Not some bum sat on the bench as the third goalkeeper or whatever. He was a, a starter and a very, very important starter. Arguably one of the three or four most important players in that team. <laughs> it, it's It's just... It's just stupid. Just be... Be really happy with this signing. There's no other way to look at it than to be really happy with this deal. From all angles, price, profile, talent, potential, his his track record, everything about him, his, his demeanour, everything about him is exactly what we should want. And the tactical fit for what we're doing at the minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And And... Not just this tactical fit, but future tactical fits. Yes. Future managers of Liverpool will get to embrace this guy and, and how he can adapt his game to whatever is needed from him. Like Argentina played what I would describe as a fairly defensive brand of football at the World Cup. There was a very Simeone esque feel to that four box two. And he was brilliant in it. Brighton play a very attacking brand of football and he thrived in it. So, you know, he's he's adaptable to basically any setup, any style, any type of approach to a game, any game situation. You need to chase a goal, Alexis helps. You need to lock down a game and see it out, Alexis helps. What more do people? I I I don't know. I don't know how anybody could find any fault in this deal. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. 
we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Give him time, everybody will. Oh, of course they will. Right, let's move on. Let's take a moment to pause and laugh at Chelsea, who finished in the bottom half of last season, 12th of 20 teams. Uh, had Frank Lampard gotten the job earlier in the season, they might well have been relegated, but it wasn't to be. And we can all only wish that Frank gets another job at, uh, at a rival club sometime soon. But David appointed a new manager. They've brought in Maurizio Pochettino. He's obviously got um, a good track record of team building at Southampton, at Spurs, and then obviously went on to PSG. Won a league title there, but I mean, it's a bit like getting a toy with your Happy Meal. It doesn't really count for much. And he was dismissed after 18 months in charge. What do you think of the Pochettino fit? And what do we think Chelsea need moving into this season, Carol? Organisation, structure. Um, patterns of build-up play. That was the biggest thing missing, I think, all season long, which is you know not that much of a surprise considering they had three different managers, all very, very different in terms of experience levels and setup and all the rest of it, not to mention the ongoing recruitment turnover. Um, so I think those are the three main things. Obviously, there are certain personnel changes that are required. Job number one is a goalkeeper. Um, but I think that even before you you look at changing people in the squad, there are massive steps Chelsea can take if they had to keep everybody exactly the same just by being a bit more uh, together, let's say, in terms of what they're actually trying to do and having good partnerships put together in having real understanding in different areas of the pitch and in how they progress the ball because that was just non-existent next season, uh, last season. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean... To go from Thomas Tuchel to Graham Potter is is quite a change, especially given the way Tuchel had sort of put aside his own principles and beliefs and fundamentals to sculpt a club that a team that went on and won a European Cup under his watch because of the players he felt that he had at his disposal there. I think if Tuchel had been the Thomas Tuchel we saw at Dortmund. And in his early time at PSG, well, I think he'd probably still be at Chelsea, but they wouldn't have a European Cup. But I do think it would have been an easier transition then to play Graham Potter style of football. And then obviously you get Frank and it's just, you know, go out there and express yourselves, lads. We've got more talent than them. Go out and run around a bit and all should work out. I do agree that just having, you know, a settled approach, continuity, a real vision, a plan is going to be enormous. I think it's vital that 
somebody take Todd Bowley's keys away and get him a designated driver because the guy is clearly drunk with power and doing bizarre things left, right and centre. The less Todd, the better should be the mandate for Chelsea. But when you look at the squad, it is very easy to picture a really good team being put together because they've got, you know, they've got really good players. You look at the goalkeepers. Okay, Kepa. Kepa had a good season, but Kepa is a flawed goalkeeper. Edward Mendy is a flawed goalkeeper, but he's not a bad goalkeeper. He is solid. Slanina is the huge talent that they're hoping becomes their next Petr Cech, next Thibaut Courtois. They probably need someone to bridge the gap there. Defensively, though, like they're in great shape. Right back, you've got Reese James and you've got Malo Gusto. Left back, you've got Chilwell, you've got Kukurea, and you've got Lewis Hall, who looks a hell of a talent, like really does look a hell of a talent. More a midfielder, but has been primarily used for them as a, as a left back. Centre back, they're loaded. Left side centre back, you've got Badiashile, you've got Kaladu Kulabali, and you've got Levi Colwell coming back off loan. So, I mean, they don't need to touch that. Right side centre back, you've got Wes Fafana, huge talent. You've got Thiago Silva, assuming he sticks around another year, which I think he probably will. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing for Chelsea. I think they might be better off removing him. And you've got uh, Trevor Chalaba, who I think is is very underrated. So, like, defensively, and you've got Cesar Azpilicueta still there as well. Defensively, they don't need to do anything. They've got all the pieces there for Pochettino to build a back four that's a platform for that team to play off. It's what he did at Southampton. He put a back four in place that he could trust. Did the same thing at, at Spurs. They were successful based off that back line. There's a lot of talent in midfield, but obviously they are going to lose some players. So it looks like Kante is away to um, Saudi Arabia. It looks like Kovacic will go to City. I want your thoughts on that in a second. It looks like they might um, also sell Bakayoko, but he hasn't been playing for them for the last few years. But they've got Enzo, who's outstanding. You've got Carney Chukwemeka, very, very big talent. You've got Andre Santos, huge talent. You've got Gallagher, good squad player, will we'll give us all. Mason Mount is still there. We know how the talent he has. I think you're really only looking to add one midfielder, like a reliable ball winner. And I think other than that, the midfield will take care of itself. You've got every profile you could want. They've also got that young. Italian midfielder, um, Caicedi, the kid they brought in from Inter, who's really highly rated, was out on loan at Reading last season. So again, one ball winner in midfield, and they're probably set. And then there's loads of talent in the wing positions. You've got Hudson-Odoi, Mudeki, Kai can play out wide, Sterling, obviously, Mudrik, Pulisic, Zajic, there's someone else I'm not thinking of as well. And they've got Nkunku coming in. So all of those players can play wide. Some of them can play as a 10. And then it's just really a goal scorer you're looking for. You've got you've got Aubameyang. He's probably leaving. You've got Broya and you've got David Datra Fafano, who are both really talented but really young. 
you're really just looking for, and you've got Lukaku to come back, and maybe he's the nine that they use. Maybe Pochettino can get the best out of him. Like, there's, there's not a whole lot needed. It's, it's very much a case of less will be more this season for Chelsea. Get a ball winner, get a goalkeeper, and if Lukaku's not the one, then you go and look at a striker. But don't prick about with anything else. The last thing you need is another winger or another defender. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, it's very much a case of, I think, trimming who you don't want, who you don't want to build around. So there's been a lot of talk about uh, Kajavertz going to Real Madrid and him being basically their new number nine. So if that's the case, I mean, I, I think Havertz has been horribly used and is a very, very good player. But if that's the case, get the money for him. That's fine. Just write that one off as it didn't work for whatever reason. And that's one down that you haven't got to worry about because Havertz is too good to leave out. Yeah, but if they can't find a way to make him play, then you might as well sell him and get big money for him. So, I would be be in favour of selling him, but I would be agreeable to it happening if you can just take down one of those extra spots that you haven't got to worry about. I mean, the number of attackers that you say there is is very very high, but I don't think that the quality across the board is exactly where they need it to be yet. I wouldn't be surprised if Ziyech pushes for a move again because he was so close to Agreed. it in January. Um, Christian Pulisic, I think, needs to try elsewhere now. He's he's had quite a few seasons there at Chelsea now, and he's only got one year left on his contract. That sort of thing. I think maybe those kinds of ones are the ones you want to just cut loose. And Hudson Odoi probably as well. He started really well at Leverkusen, but didn't finish so great. So maybe he again with one year left on his deal just says I need to start again. And yeah. if you get rid of those, you're already quite a bit down in terms of squad size and bulk. And you haven't really lost anything that affects your first team capabilities. I think that's really important in terms of uh, summer decision making for Chelsea because they've got most of the rest of the structure in place now. Like since Todd came in and started, you know, scattergunning basically, they've put like must be a dozen senior personnel in place in terms of recruitment area, in terms of play liaison, in terms of people who are going to be looking after the coaching staff, all these things. There's loads and loads of appointments been made. I don't think you need to change too much the group itself. Like, like I said, goalkeeper number one, because I think I, I think Kepa's crap, basically. I think if you're looking at elite goalkeepers, he is of the crap end of that group. So yes, I would absolutely look to recruit there. But beyond that, if you couldn't buy anyone else, I don't think that matters you've got enough there to challenge for the top four at the very least. Get yourself a real structure in place. And at the end of year one, if you're back in Europe, if you've gone somewhere near cup competitions, if you've brought in a whole bunch of money, maybe a hundred million or so net, you've put yourself back on a footing for next year, mm. knowing exactly where you need to target. Yeah. And it might, it might nearly be in their best, best interest to do that, you know, to maybe, maybe even say to Hudson Adoy and Pulisic, look, Let's do a one-year extension and see how it goes under the new manager. And if it doesn't work, we'll sell you next summer. Because it's like those players have played under a lot of Chelsea managers. Lampard the first time. An awful manager. Awful. Tuchel. Potter, who had a really bad time there. And then Lampard again. That's four different managerial stints. Three different managers. It's a lot for any player. And I know what you're saying about Havertz and it, you know, it didn't work. He hasn't, he hasn't shown the way we expect him to, 
But at the end of the day, the guy scored you the winning goal in the Champions League final. So you can just sort of make peace with the fact that, yeah, he wasn't the all-encompassing world-class player you hoped he'd be for you, but he did score the winning goal in the Champions League final. And for that, that makes the transfer a success, in my view. Um, and, you know, with him going out, you've got Nkunku coming in, 63 million, I believe. Um, you probably won't get that back for Kai. So you're probably at about, you know, a bit of, a bit of a loss there on the window. You'll get money for Mount if you decide to sell. But again, could they go to Mount and just say, look, just see how it is under this new manager. Just see how you feel. And if if by January you still don't want to stay, then we will happily sell you. We will happily move you on. We'll take 35 million, but give it a chance and see how you feel under Pochettino. Because I think one of the things with Mount is he just doesn't feel appreciated because all these new players landed in and they got all the publicity and all the love and he's just sort of been shunted out of the way. But I think Pochettino's, He's really good at two things. He's really good at knowing what he wants his team to do. And he's really good at creating a strong team spirit, which is something Chelsea have lacked for a long, long time. You mentioned there about the the number of appointments that they've made sort of in, in behind the scenes roles. And it really does speak to the fact that prior to Bowley buying the club, they were operating on a real skeleton staff. There doesn't appear to have been much in the way of a recruitment department there before. Yeah, possibly so. I mean, like they've they've certainly tried to put in a structure which is more, should we say, familiar with their their other organisations rather than what we see in football in Premier League terms. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that there's a simple way that you have to structure a football club or which roles have to be filled or anything like that. Groupthink, generally speaking, works quite well when the people are very good at their jobs. Um, you would assume that they are putting people in place who are that because they have the money to do so. Um, I, I just I don't see any way that with a head coach who has authority over the squad, this Chelsea group that is already there fails to be around the top four next season. It, unless they just don't sell people and bring in more and it's even more awkward, I just don't see how the, that much quality, that much physical power, that much mm-hmm. technical ability fails to be much, much better than they were. It's hard to put into words how bad they were this year. Yeah. Like their last home victory in the league was fourth of March mm. for a team that spent what six hundred million pounds. Yeah, fourth of March, and that was against a side who got relegated. The last win at home against a team who didn't get relegated was fifteenth of January. Mm. You you can't comprehend how astronomically bad they were in the second half of the season. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a an appalling season. Like it really was. And even though the Potter thing didn't work, it, it clearly got much, much worse under under Frank when he took over. Um I agree with you. I think I think there's far too much talent there for them not to just bounce back and be good next season. Not necessarily not necessarily that they get top four, but like you said, I think they will challenge for top four. And there is a whole bunch of players there that they can sell and it won't affect anything. You could sell Mendy. You could sell Malang Sar. You can sell Ethan Ampadu. 
you can sell Bakayoko, you can sell Aubameyang and Zayic and Hudson Adoy. Abdul Rahman Baba's still there as well. Like, I mean, he's that's kind of the poster boy for the dysfunction of Chelsea in the last six, seven years. Is that that guy? I would say there are people who work for Chelsea who've never met him, and he's been at that club since 2015 or something. He arrived as one of the most promising young left backs in world football. He'd been absolutely brilliant for Augsburg. And then he just didn't work for Chelsea, gets loaned out time and time and time again. He's still only 28 years of age. He's had seven loans, two to Schalke, uh, one to Reims, one to Mallorca, one to PAOK, and the last two at Reading. Spent two seasons, the last two seasons at Reading. Like, there are people who work for that club that have never met the lad. And probably don't even know he's on their books anymore. And I guarantee they're still paying sizable wages to him because there's no way Reading were paying all of his wages. Not a chance of it. And here's the other thing, Carl. They definitely gave him at least one more contract after the first contract of which he didn't work out. Yeah, I think they gave him an extension when he got injured because he had a big ACL injury, didn't he? And I think they gave him a new contract then because they were obviously banking on him either coming back good and making their, their money back or whatever it was, but yeah, it hasn't. 22 million spunk down the drain. Well done. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just, like you said, just go in, trim the players that don't have a future, don't add too much, less will definitely be more, you will get more out of players if they've got more time with coaches and more individual training and feel less like they're just on some sort of assembly line. There's so much talent at that club. There's no reason to go and and spunk another 100, 200 million. You don't need to do it. With the Nkunku fee, with the money they paid to sack Tuchel, hire Potter, sack Potter, and hire the staff from other clubs that they stole, like Wynn Stanley and Shields and all the rest. Todd Bowley is about 750 million into this project, which is just mind-blowing in one year. Not counting the fact that he overpaid hugely for the club itself. What an absolute shambles. Someone take the man's keys away, put him to bed, and wake him back up in September when the transfer window closes. But, so you, you would say... What would you say is the minimum expectation for them next season? Uh, be within two wins of the top four. I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. Let's travel across London then, or up London, to North London, where Spurs have just appointed Ange Postacoglu as their new manager. He takes over after Conte was sacked and they went through a disastrous end of season and collapsed from fourth when Conte was sacked to missing out on Europe altogether in an eighth place finish. A very disappointing season for them, but a manager coming in now who knows what he's about, knows how he wants to play, has very high standards for his players. 
takes over a talented squad, Carl, but a squad with a couple of very big holes in it. Um, I think a talented squad is generous. I think there are pockets of massive talent, and that is scattered about a lot of average and substandard uh, individuals. The the biggest thing that they have or they don't have is that they're not really a great group. They're not really a great team in terms of what you want to see if you know times are difficult or anything like that. Uh, I was critical of Conte in terms of the first half of the season. I thought they were way below the level they should have been. But the season as a whole and where they've ended up as a club, that's all on Daniel Levy. Because, I mean, the decisions taken in terms of the two interim managers, in terms of no sport and director being in place when they knew that this could have happened to uh, Fabio Paratici, who they also still have to replace. The fact that they then didn't manage to get in a sport and director before appointing a new head coach, and now it's got to be done the other way around again, where a head coach is in place and the sport and director's got to be on board and go and find players according to that rather than their own team building not preferences so much, but ideals, ideas. It's, it's a mess. It, honestly, this is a bigger mess than Chelsea. Chelsea's is a mess in terms of the team, let's say, the squad, but Tottenham are a mess of a club. I think this mm. is a much, much bigger turnaround, which isn't on Ange Postacoglu, whereas the other job, the Chelsea one, is on Pochettino to do. So I think that from that respect, I think Postacoglu is a really good appointment because I think he is unflappable enough to not really give a shit about all the stuff that's going on above and around him, and he'll just concentrate on the coaching. He'll just concentrate on the stuff that he knows he can affect, and he won't be scared about giving his own opinion for all the other stuff to people that matter. But then if it's people like, uh, let's say, fans complaining about stuff or certain aspects of the media asking him, well, what about this? He's just going to say, it's nothing to do with me. And you know, that's absolutely right. He'll be able to brush it off. But I don't doubt that he will have input behind the scenes as well if he's asked about it. Because he's a pretty forthright guy with pretty mm. level-headed ideas. I like Ange Postecoglou quite a lot, to be honest. Um, yeah, however, I, I don't think that this squad suits him in the slightest. Other than if he decides he's going to play the same way stylistically, but completely different setup. Now, I don't know exactly what he did over in Japan, obviously, because that's not somewhere I watched him. But the only time I've seen him play with a back three or wing backs is with Australia in games that they were massive, massive underdogs in. And this squad, as we've said before, is not set up to play back four. Not with no. the players who play on the sides of defence and not with at least three of the central defenders either. So there's a lot of work to do there to get either players who are not used to the four playing in a four comfortably and capably, because we saw at the end of the last season that without high-level coaching, those ones who are there now cannot. Cannot. So unless he is unbelievably good on the coaching ground with them, they're going to struggle. Or they need a lot of recruitment on both the ins and outside because you've got not just the likes of you know, Royal and Pedro Porro, absolutely fullbacks, but Perisic has never been a fullback. He is just a wingback. Um, He's a winger, really. A winger or a forward or an attacking mid. And then you've also got people come back like Destiny Udogi, who's playing obviously wingback. People like Sergio Reguilón coming back, who doesn't actually want to be there. Uh, Jed Spence, who they've not made any real use of yet whatsoever. So even before getting to the rest of the team, Ange has to have such a clear idea of what he wants to do and then be ruthless with that defensive Mm -hmm. line. And even before the defensive line, the goalkeeper, because Maurice is A, being finished for three years, and B, Mm -hmm. has now accepted that he wants to leave as well. 
Yeah, and let's not sugarcoat it. Hugo Lloris quit on the team last season. That's what he did. He quit and he went away, pretended he was injured. And that's your club captain. And that speaks to the mess that you've mentioned. There's no direction and no leadership at this club. There's Daniel Levy sat in his ivory tower and then nothing. And then more nothing. And then whatever sap was in charge of the team. Paratici was a bad appointment to begin with. He's now banned from football and they have to go and replace him. And like you said, that should have been the first port of call. The only thing that might stand in good stead for them is Ange isn't actually taking over till July 1st. Now that, to me, screams mistake as well, but it's something to do with his contract situation at Celtic. But it does mean they've got three weeks now to go and find... You've had talks, you've interviewed a bunch... Go and pick your sporting director. And when Ange walks in the door on July 1st, have the sporting director there to greet him. And then they can sit down, they can start to work. Um, You're right, the goalkeeper needs to be changed straight away. I mean, Lloris is leaving. Fraser Forster's fine as a backup, not good enough as a starter. I don't know enough about Brandon Austin or Alfie Whiteman. I assume they're talented young keepers, but both of them are 24. So they're not that, not that young. So they've got to go and address that. They've got to find a high-end goalkeeper. Now, the most commonly linked name is David Rea. But I would say any and all links to Spurs for players prior to Ange been announced on Monday, you can probably put them in the bin because unless he was directing that before he took over, who was recruiting players and who were they recruiting them for? Because you, your sporting director was gone and there's no manager. So who are you recruiting these players for? What style? What system? What approach? Goalkeeper is definitely a, a huge a huge thing they have to address. The fullback spots are, are strange because they've got lots of talent. You've got Pedro Porro. You've got Jed Spence. You've got Emerson Royale, as you mentioned, I think you probably look to maybe sell Emerson Royale and just go with the other two. Now, they're both more attack-minded than defensive-minded, but he signed a four-year deal. I assume he's been given some sort of guarantees that he will be allowed to rebuild this team properly and be given the time to do it. So unless they're like 18th after six months, I think he's going to be okay. So he needs to work with, with Poro and Spence on the defensive side. On the left, you've got a Doji. Um, you've got Ryan Sessegnon, and you mentioned uh, Regulon. I assume Regulon is sold as well. A Doji and Sessegnon are, again, more wing-backs than full-backs. But again, with time, they're both very young. They both have the attributes to potentially become decent full-backs. Maybe they can be coached into those roles. And if you can sell Regulon and you can sell... Emerson Royale, maybe that brings you in 25 million for the pair, maybe. I know you spent 50 on them, but you know, you shouldn't have. Um, Centre-back is where this is just funny. Romero's outstanding. Eric Dyer is awful. Davinson Sanchez is pretty awful. Clement Langley was only on loan, thankfully, so he'll be away. Ben Davies and Jaffa Tanganga, they're okay squad players. You don't want them starting too often. 
So they've definitely got to bring in at least one centre-back. I would say if you're going to play a four, you need a starter to go with Romero and a backup, a, a reliable backup, and then you've got Tanganga and Davies, and that'll round out your group. But, I mean, it just they can't go into next season with Eric Dyer. He just can't. He is he is genuinely dreadful. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, there's massive, massive restructure to be done there. Um, and like the first thing really that Ange probably has to do is talk to Harry Kane. You know, we talk about building from the back all the time and your restructuring has to be done from the back. Mm, recruitment should be done from the back, but obviously you can't put a time scale on when deals are done and all that. But basically your ideas at least should start from the back. And on the training ground, you should start from the back. But in this case, everything hinges on Harry Kane because one, the build-up play goes through him. Two, he's the best forward. And three, all the money that they'll get to spend on rebuilding will come from him, basically. So it needs to be decided really, really early in the window. Are you in and signing or are you out mm. the door and we get the money in for you? And that needs to be done. Like If if Ange is there July 1st, is it you said? Yeah. I presume they'll be back in pre-season training maybe later that week, something like that. That Kane deal needs to be done one way or the other by then. Yeah. I think from Ange's point of view, it makes it a lot easier if they sell Harry Kane. Agree. Because I think then the fans have to accept that it's a rebuild. Yeah, exactly. That is much and, more of a mentality thing for outsiders than anything exactly. else. Like. And as well as that, like if, if Harry Kane is there and Spurs are struggling, there will be a media drive you know, around they're wasting another great Harry Kane season, which is absolutely fair. Because he is a great player, but he turns 30 soon. He's not going to be a great player for many more years. He maybe has another, what, three, maybe four standout seasons left in him. And if you're going to take two of them to rebuild, well, then he's 32. And you're kind of hoping he has two more years in him at a high level. So I do, I do think it's it's in their best interest. To move him on. They're also losing Lucas Moura this summer. I don't know if they'll keep Dan Juma on, on, after his loan. He didn't really impress all that much. They've got Sun. They've got Richarlison. And I assume they will turn Kulisevsky's deal into a permanent deal. It, it would be very stupid not to. 
if they sell Kane, it does leave them light on goals, but it will give them a lot of money to spend. And you can focus a good chunk of that money on buying your Harry Kane replacement. If he wasn't after getting an eight-month ban, I would have said, just go and buy Ivan Tony, Because I think stylistically, he's about as close as you'll get. He's obviously not Harry Kane. But he can do a decent imitation of Harry Kane. Midfield, I mean, there's there's good midfielders at the club. They've got Skip, who's he's okay. Hoisberg is okay. Papi Matar Sar, I think, is is outstanding. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Yves Basuma, I think, is a really good player. Benton Kaur, I think, is a really good player. And Ange might fancy a little bit of Tangai Endembele or Giovanni Lacelso if they're willing to put in the work. Because while his brand of football is very good to watch, it also involves players giving every last drop of energy that they have. Mm. And if you look at his Celtic teams, he did tend to rotate his midfield options a lot. It was very rare that you'd see the same midfield from Celtic back-to-back games because the demands were so huge. Now, that group of midfielders there is a group of... It's a group of grafters, really. There is technical ability, but it's not huge amounts. But if you could add Endembele, who who I thought this season for Napoli did put in a shift, and you could add the Celso, well, there's individual quality on the ball. So maybe he could get through the first season without doing too much to the midfield. Just find the Kane replacement, find a goalkeeper, find a starting centre-back, and maybe one depth piece at centre-back. And maybe that's enough for the first year. But I do think expectations need to be lowered. And the best way to lower them is to sell Harry Kane. And if Harry Kane leaves, the great thing for Ange is there's no blood on his hands there. He's not the one that sold him. He's not the one that failed to get the best out of the team around Kane. All of that goes to Daniel Levy. And for Postacoglu, having a really unpopular owner will probably give him more leeway with the fans who might overlook... Like, look at look at Ten Hag this season, for example. Every awful result, every failure was the Glazers' fault. It wasn't Ten Hag's fault Liverpool beat United 7-0. It was the Glazers' fault that Liverpool beat United 7-0. But all of the successes, well, they were because Ten Hag's a genius. So Ange might get the same type of benefit of the doubt from the fans. If Kane has gone, Levy's this unpopular, Joe Lewis has never seen, it might be the best thing for him in, in all regards if Kane leaves. I think it would. Uh, I think it's time for Kane to do so as well. I think it's pretty half admirable and half frustrating that he's been forced to stay there that long and he has stayed there that long hmm. without kicking up as much of a fuss as he could have done. Um, but yeah, I, I think clean break is probably the time. Spurs have to stop pissing about, to be brutally honest. You're, you're, yeah. you're too bad. You're too poor. And you need a lot of changes if you want to be a better club. I also think Harry Winks could have a role under, under Ange. I know he's not a great player, but he is decent on the ball. Brian Hill could be a decent backup for Kulosevsky. 
And actually, I mentioned buying a, a backup centre-back. Joe Roden, just bring him back off the loan and just use him. Just have him as the backup centre-back. He is decent. Not great, but he's decent. He's more reliable than Davinson Sanchez or Eric Dyer. So now goalkeeper, centre-back, striker. Go and do those three things. Work with the rest. And if you can find your way into seventh, the Conference League, it's a season of progression. You've done better than they did the season before. And people will be more accepting of it if, it, if there isn't the Kane fiasco going around. I think Harry Kane has... Now, look, last season, I thought he let himself down. Last summer, the interview with Neville was a bad idea. And the fact that he basically went on strike was a really bad look. But when he came back, that wasn't last summer. That was the summer before. It was two summers ago. When he came back, he put his head down and he got on with it. And this past season then, he had a great season, a, a genuinely great season. Surrounded by a mess. But 30 Premier League goals is, is a hell of a return. Um, I think there's also an argument to be made that how Ange likes his one-up and one-off to play, despite the terrible season they've just had, in general, Richarlison and Son is fairly yeah. ideal for him. Yeah. Yeah, no question. No question. And, and like you have invested huge amounts of money into Richarlison. So you've got to try and and get some return on that investment because he had a disastrous season this past year. Son had the worst season of his career as well. You'd expect him to bounce back. If you keep Dan Juma, maybe you can get him cheap and maybe add one more, like a a, a proper nine type, because he does like to have a nine in the rotation. Then that group, with support from Kulisevsky and whoever else, Potentially, that's that's what he needs. But I think for Spurs, if they can just get seventh seventh place in the league next season, have a decent cup run. Ange is a pretty good cup manager. Yeah, I think they can chalk that down as a successful season. But I do think that, like you said, that all of it all of it stems from what does Harry Kane do? What does he do next? Because He's too good to waste many more years of. I know he's only, what, 47 goals off Shearer's record for the Premier League, but that's two seasons that it will take him to get them, and that's two good seasons. That's, a, you know, a 24 and a 23 goal season to get there. They're a really good season. If you're not putting the right team around him, and again, he's not winning, and he gets to 32, and he's still got nothing to show for it in terms of trophies, it it would feel like such a waste. You'd have had 11, 11 elite seasons from Harry Kane, and and you'd have won nothing. Well, 10, because the the 21-22 season wasn't wasn't great for him. But, you know, you know my point. He has just banged in goals at a ferocious rate, and... You haven't won anything, and you're not going to win anything next season in all likelihood. Maybe you could win the League Cup, and maybe that'd be enough for him. I don't know, but I think I think the time has come for him to move on and and go and go and experience something else and go and win because he is a great player. Yeah, I think absolutely right. In all counts, I think it's just time to be honest. I think it makes more sense for Spurs. It makes more sense for Kane. So. 
this has to be the summer. Right, Carl, you are advising Harry Kane. Mm. You have three offers on the table. I, as Spurs, have accepted them all, 90 million. And I tell you, just pick whichever club you want. The deals are the same from them all for us. You can go to Manchester United. You can go to Real Madrid. Or you can go to Bayern Munich. Where would you advise them to go? Um, I would tell them it depends if you want to be trophies or you want that Premier League goal-scoring record. If you want trophies, you go Bayern and you're done. And you just win and you just score and that's what you are. You're exactly the same as now except you get the trophies at the end of it instead of the heartache. If you want the Premier League goal-scoring record, you have to go to Man United, but you're not going to win very much. Yeah. You might win trophies. You might win the odd league or cup or whatever, but you might win nothing. And here's the thing. If he went to Bayern on, let's say, a four-year deal, and he wins four league titles, a couple of cups, and maybe even a Champions League, scores for fun, contract runs out, he's 34 years of age, he could still come back to England. And Spurs would take him back. Other clubs would take him. There's no reason he couldn't at 34 get 15 goals, 15 goals, 15 goals, and still end up breaking the record. Now, he'd be 38 or so by the time he broke it. But he could still do both. Like, moving abroad doesn't necessarily stop him eventually winning or eventually breaking that goal-scoring record. As long as he looks after himself, as long as the ankles don't, don't degenerate. He could still go and win those trophies, have that success, experience a different style of life, you know, banging goals. for He would score stupid amounts of goals in that Bayern team. Like, he'll Bushel be 50 words. a season. Bushel words. It'll be insane. But he could still come back then and, and break that goal-scoring record. You know, there's nothing really to stop him if he wanted to do it. Even in a, you know, if he came back and was a starter for two years and then drifted into a squad role, still be a weapon off the bench. He still loved to have Harry Kane, even at 36, 37, coming on for 15 minutes because of the intelligence, the finishing ability, the variety of goals he could score, the instincts he has, the movement. The I think he can games still... already 4 0 up in. That's exactly it. I think he could do both. I think he, I think he can do both. If he goes to Bayern this summer, or even Real, but I think Bayern is the Bayern is where you're guaranteed the trophies. Yeah, and I think he's, I think his personality would fit better with Bayern than with Real. I, I don't know why. I just feel like he's more of a Bayern player than a Real player. If if I don't, I, I don't know if you even know if that makes sense, but. When I think of him, I, I can see him in a... I can see him as more of a Lewandowski type of persona yeah. driven by goals and records there than a Benzema type who kind of enjoys the celebrity as well as the yeah. football side of it, do you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think tactically it's a bit of a better fit as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we know that Thomas Tuchel is a long-time admirer of him. And we don't know what Real's future is. I mean, Carlo is apparently the driving force behind that side. Carlo will be gone in 12 months in all likelihood. So then what happens? Maybe you get a manager who doesn't really want you. Maybe he wants somebody else. 
I know Bayern change managers every few years as well, but I think at Bayern you can have a bit more influence as a as a top player than you can at Real. I think the um, structure of playing stays the same much more at Bayern as well, to be honest. Mm. So, yeah, I, I would say Bayern is a good fit for him if he if he wants to depart and try something else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Right, that'll do us for today then. Um, uh, actually, I will ask you one more thing as well. Yes. Because I was a bit surprised that it's this way round, but more because of the clubs rather than the fact it makes sense. Because I do actually think that both of them make quite a lot of sense if, if they're all on board. Um, Pochettino got two years and Ange got four. Yeah. Now, if you're asking me what these clubs generally tend to do, I would have said it would be the other way around. Pochettino gets uh, four years with Chelsea and, oh, we're going to have this as a new era and all the rest of it. Just change their mind a year and a half down the line if they don't like it. And Spurs go for two years because they've gone through like 7,000 managers in the last six months. My guess is... The way they've done it is it makes sense for both. See, my my guess with Spurs is that there's a little hint of desperation there. Let's not forget we're not that long removed from the debacle that ended up with Nuno Espirito Santo uh, getting the job after... They were turned down by all and sundry and then nearly appointed uh, Gattuso. So I think they just wanted to get a deal done quickly. And I think Ange had a very strong hand to play because Ange could have stayed at Celtic forever and been adored forever, him and his jumper. So I think he was able to dictate to Spurs, well, listen, unless I'm getting four years guarantees on this, this and this, I'm not even entertaining it. I think Spurs wanted it done and done quickly so that they could move on and try and sort out the rest of the mess at the club. With Chelsea, I don't think Pochettino was coming in from a position of power because he'd been sacked by PSG. He'd been out of work then for 12 months. They're always going to be attractive to managers on the basis of they will pay obscene wages to managers. I mean... Louis Enrique was practically twerking for the job. And I think they're also, they've also learned a bit of a lesson from the Potter scenario where they hired him on a five-year contract and had to pay out a huge amount of money when they sacked him. I think they're probably looking at the fact that if they have to sack Pochettino after a year, at least it's only a year's compensation to pay. So. I, I think it it does kind of make sense for both. Yeah, it does. I think, it makes a lot of sense. That's why I'm surprised. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, to be fair, like it, it's unusual for these clubs to make smart decisions, especially especially Spurs in recent years. I mean, they it, it's so weird with Spurs because when Pochettino was there, they did seem to make smart moves and they seemed to be a very well run club. I know they didn't spend a lot of money, and that was the the gripe, but let's remember why they weren't spending money. They were saving to build that incredible stadium that they now play in. So up until he left, they always seemed to be kind of in control and and they were notorious as horrible to deal with. And Levy would, he would drive down prices on players they wanted and he'd drive down wages when he negotiated contracts and whatever else. And they've just been an absolute catastrophe since he left. 
And Chelsea, I've always looked at Chelsea as, you know, those kind of, you know, you see bands play and it's like experimental music and you're watching a drummer who's looks like he's completely out of control and not playing in tempo with the rest of the band. But in the end, it all kind of works out for them. Chelsea have always kind of struck me at that as there's no, there was no long-term plan. They were all a little bit all over the place and kind of flying by the arse of their trousers. But yet it always worked out because they could spend their way into success. And I do think, and I've said this before, I think when Bowley bought the club, his plan was we're going to do one big splurge and then we're going to go to a very data-driven, you know, maintenance approach. I Like Chelsea fans seem to think Bowley's going to carry on spending 600 million. I, I think he might like to himself, but he doesn't have the money to do it. And I don't think Clear Lake will back him a whole lot more on this. They've still got to build a new stadium there as well, remember. That's part of the deal when they bought the club. So I I think Chelsea have to be a little bit calmer now. This summer might be a bit weird, but I do think they'll settle down eventually. They're just two strange clubs. Strange, strange. Like when Arsenal are the most functional club in in London of, of the big three, it doesn't read well for the other two because they've been a mess for years as well. Yeah, I mean, like, Premier League, top end especially, is always in a state of flux and there's always going to be a team who are trying to rebuild and get it wrong or another team who just come out of nowhere because they've been building really well and we haven't really paid attention to it or whatever. It's just that this year, this summer coming, there are two, these two we're talking about, who are rebuilding a massive mess. Then there's Liverpool who are rebuilding a playing staff mess. And then a couple of them, obviously, who are trying to continue progression. And how all that comes together is a very, very difficult thing. And even if you get it right, you can still not get it right enough. That's the big problem that we're facing now, because as we've spoken about before, it's not a top four anymore. It's not mm. big six anymore. You've got at least seven there all trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah, and I, and I think if, if Villa continue to progress, I think they can, because they're a big enough club with enough history and rich yeah. enough owners. Villa are one of them that I'm just talking about there in that mm. it looks like they suddenly come from nowhere, but it's because they've been putting stuff in place for like three, four years beforehand, and then yeah. it comes together in one season. They could easily get a top six finish among the seven teams who are actually trying to do the top four. It just doesn't, yeah. it, there's too many. It doesn't make, it doesn't work anymore. That's the thing. And then you've also got like the really smartly run clubs like Brentford and Brighton who are step by step by step progression. And I know people expect Brighton to drop off next season and they might, but they might not either. You know, and Brentford might take a step forward and who knows if, if this, if the, the the Czech guy that bought into West Ham gets his way and gets to buy out the shares of, of Sullivan and the late David Gold, maybe he puts his people in place and maybe they become a big factor and maybe sometime Everton get, like it is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher and it's going to be less forgiving as well. You know, we saw this season, like we we had a really bad season, but at the end of the day, if you look at the Premier League table and the points tolls, 
we finished with 67 points. Now, you can go back to the 2021 season, 67 points and our goal title, our goal tally would have gotten us fourth. The season before, it would have gotten us third. In 1920, it would have gotten us third. That's two seasons out of the last four where we would have been good enough to get a top four finish. Now, obviously, before that, it was a bit higher as well, but these things do fluctuate. And perhaps next season, 67 will be good enough to get you top four. You know, we're looking at the teams above us. You wouldn't be scared of any of them other than City. Like Newcastle, meh. United, meh. Arsenal, yeah, they're all right, but look at the second half of the season. Fifth place form over 19 games. So which is it? Are, are they the team that got 50 points in the first 19 or the team that had fifth place form in the second 19? They're probably somewhere in between. And if they're somewhere in between and United are the same next year, I don't expect them to be a whole lot better, to be honest. I think they'll be a little less, little less lucky next season. And I think Newcastle could be another side that maybe drops a little bit next season as they try and progress this project of theirs. Gaps open up. You can jump in with one good season and then maybe you rest on your laurels a bit too much. Like we were def- definitely guilty of resting on our laurels. Chelsea had a disastrous season where they dropped 30 points from the previous season because they did far too much. We had a disastrous season where we dropped 25 points in the previous season because we didn't do nearly enough. We rested on our laurels. We just thought this will come easy to us. So, you know, you've got to find the right approach and you've got to find the right people to put that approach in place. And if you don't, then you will have a bit of a mess. Big summer all around. Huge summer all around. Yeah, huge summer all around for, for a lot of clubs. Right, we will leave it there. Um, do you have a singular piece to plug or just the the plethora that you were talking about yesterday? Yeah, I can't even remember which ones they were now, but if this is coming out after the weekend, which is after the Champions League final, uh, I did some individual player season reviews. So I think the ones I did was Fabinho, Thiago, Cody Gakpo and Ibo Kanate. So there's those. Cool. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matches. Follow Guy at Guy Drinkle. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.